This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Molly. And I'm Matthew. <laughs> and this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. I'm, try- I'm trying out a different tone today. Oh, wow. This is going to be, this is very uh, exciting. Um, do you think, do I? I haven't figured out what the tone is yet. Yeah, I, <laughs> I was desperately trying to figure out what the bit was. <laughs> and uh, this uh, episode is about yeast. Um, I kind of can't believe it's taken us this long. I mean, like we already did a sourdough episode. Well, but I this mean, is sourdough yeast. sourdough predated yeast by centuries. Well, actually, sourdough has yeast in it. Okay, sourdough predated commercial. Like there you go. Buy it off the shelf yeast. Yes, this was suggested by listener Aaron, who I think actually the uh, listener Aaron's suggestion was leavening, hmm. which uh, I mean we try we try and like bring a little leavening <laughs> to the atmosphere every week. Oh boy! Okay, um, so, Wait, I should that, say that that I, wasn't me I making that like... joke. That was my new character that I'm trying out. <laughs> okay, all right. Anyway, so yeah, we're going to talk about commercial yeast. So for me, that means you know, uh, active, dry, rapid rise. It also means like fresh, like cake yeast. Yes, we're going to talk about all right? of those things. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let, should don't we... worry, we're not going to neglect. <laughs> Fresh cake yeast. So <laughs> we go down. And I think we're lane. mostly going to talk about like in baked goods. We'll talk about like the origins of commercial yeast in the in the beer in, industry. But okay, uh, great. Yeah, let's go down memory lane. I used to work at a yeast lab. You did? Yes, that's my memory lane. So after college, I got a job in the uh, medical school. Hold at- on, is this after? So I know that you you dropped out of college, but then you yeah, went back to college. thanks for telling everyone, Molly. Oh, sorry. No, I think this is one of the more interesting things about you because you're so nerdy, but not in this like, you know, linear education way. No, more, more in like a, a devil may care kind of leather jacket kind of. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you wear a leather jacket all the time. You're constantly like revving your motorcycle as you, you know, that's true. Speed off down the street. Um, the other day, I went to uh, look at clarinets with Teenager of the Show. <laughs> just just because, like, why wouldn't I? Because, like, that's the kind of devil may care, like, uh, Mr. Cool, Mr. Clarinet. 
Um, I went to look at clarinets with teenager of the show, Iris, who's in the market for a new clarinet. If anyone has a, a clarinet in their closet that's like <laughs> burning, burning a hole in their closet, <laughs> let me know. We might take it off your hands. <laughs> so wife of the show, Lori, found there's this guy in Belltown who has who is like a clarinet and saxophone repair person and has had his an office in Belltown uh, for like a shop in Belltown for years and years. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and and so we went down to check the, to check this out and see what clarinets he had for sale. And uh, his his shop is like in the back room of a bar. It's exactly what you would want it to be. It's like a small room full of machines and old clarinets and saxophones, some working, some not. And like in a corner of of the shop, for no reason, was a motorcycle. Like, yes. And like, this is a, this is a tiny room. Like, it was not bigger than my kitchen and dining room. He's a real clarinet man. A real clarinet man. So this guy is way cooler than me. He's got a motorcycle that cannot be driven because it's inside a shop, inside a bar. Okay, anyway, but hold on. So you dropped well, so out of college. Right, right. I dropped, you dropped out, of college. out of college. And then, then you then you moved to Seattle, and then you you finished your degree at the UW? Yes. Okay. So it's a, it's a very uh, heartwarming Horatio Alger story. <laughs> Um, and after I finished at the UW, I got a job at the UW at the medical school as a research assistant in a yeast lab. I mean, not, not to brag, but, but UW, my alma mater is one of the most important yeast research institutions in the world, along with the Carlsberg lab in Denmark and some others. Oh, that's cool. Uh Uh-huh. That's cool. Um, so the reason, the reason- Wait, yeah. can I tell you something about my experience in a, a lab? So I worked in a corn genome I or a lab you, working on like the corn before. genome at Stanford the summer after my freshman year. And it was a formative time for me. Um, I, that was the summer I lost my virginity uh-huh. to a grad student in a different lab. Oh, And I first met danger. him at like a, you know, a, a inter-lab barbecue okay. at, at the cornfield. Oh, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, was, I wasn't sold on this story until you mentioned the cornfield. <laughs> anyway, but I thought that I was like so lucky to have gotten this job because the woman who was the head of the lab, the scientist who was the head of the lab, was like a celebrity to me because there was like um, a little sidebar about her in my AP bio textbook <gasps> in high school. And so then, like, getting to work for her, like, I seriously thought this woman was, uh, I had, like, like Bieber fever for this what, woman. I thought she n- was so cool. What was her name? Her name was Virginia Walbutt. Okay. She's still out there, I, I believe. Still out um, there somewhere in, in deep in the cornfield. Anyway, you know, I, I think that, obviously, she's a very accomplished scientist. But to me, like, I mean, my thought of her was, like, way out of proportion. Like, she was, like, a celebrity to me because she was in my high school textbook. Uh, one time I worked for a... a- UW prof, a biology professor who wrote the biology textbook that we used for the course. I, th- I was very impressed by this. Yeah. Those were formative years for Yeah, me. very what formative. What can I say? Um, so I got a job in this yeast lab. And like the reason they study yeast is like it's easy to grow. It grows fast. You can like look at its genes and mod- and, and you know yep, mess yep, around yep, with yep. them. It's also However, easy to, to do like genetic work on it because you can like splice things into its genome. and Yeah, right? yeah totally. Right? It's, it's, it's a it's, really good vector. Right. Is that and right? It's, and like humans, it's a eukaryotic organism. So it is more, there's more similarity b- between the yeast. Yeast genome and and also like yeast 
physiology is, I don't know if that's the right word, cellular biology and human cellular biology than between like humans and bacteria. Okay. However, as like the, the new guy at the lab, I didn't get to work with the yeast very much. I was mostly working with E. coli. So <gasps> okay. when you work with yeast and you have like yeast growing in like the incubator, it smells like bread or kind of like mm -hmm. beer, somewhere between beer and bread. When you're working with the E. coli, it smells like poop. Really? Yes. Is, is that what makes poop smell like poop? Yes. I mean, I know we we all have E. coli in our, our intestines. Tons but of it. I didn't realize that that was part of what creates the poop smell. Oh, yes, absolutely. And like, you know, we're, we weren't working with pathogenic E. coli, like the bad ones that you hear about. This was like, you know, totally like non-toxic, safe E. coli, but it still smelled terrible. I did not enjoy that job very much. I think I quit after four months. Did the smell like linger on you? Like when I worked at Whole Foods and worked with cheese, like I could not get the smell of cheese off my hands. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, like, maybe I also wasn't very good at hand washing or something. <laughs> Great. Why did you get fired from the cheese counter? Uh, no, but seriously, oh my God. I remember the day that I had to, um, you know how like um, mass produced cheeses often come in like a big loaf, right? Yes. And then they are cut into smaller bricks and individually wrapped and sold in like a refrigerated case. Well, I had to break down um, a, a whole loaf of smoked mozzarella. Uh -huh. So, you know, I can't remember. We cut it into maybe like 16 pieces and then you're no, like... No, it's important to remember exactly <laughs> how many pieces you cut it into. Anyway, and the thing is, is like I was wearing gloves, right? Because you can't handle ready food right. without gloves. But even with the gloves, my hands smelled like I had been smoking meat all day. Wow. It was crazy. It was gross. Like sometimes do you like wake from a dream and like feel like the smell is still lingering? No. Okay. Um, I had a weird dream the other day. I don't remember anything about it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Cool. Um, okay. So speaking of big loaves, yeast is, uh, is a unicellular fungus. Uh, Saccharomyces yeah, what, what do you mean by eukaryote? I forgot what that means. Okay. I would love to explain this in excruciating <laughs> detail. Okay. So... A bacterium is just kind of like a sack with like all its genetic material just kind of like, you know how, how we're the human sack? Well, it's, it's just it's just like a little bag of fluid with its genetic material, like just one long chromosome just kind of slurking around in there. Is that a prokaryote? That is a prokaryote, yes. Okay. And a eukaryote, which uh, like eukaryote means like true nucleus, it, it is a cell that has much more structure than a prokaryote in, in that it has a nucleus where the genetic material is kept and then like all kinds of other parts. Okay. I mean, some, some of those parts prokaryotes also have, but prokaryotes do not have a nucleus and are generally much smaller cells. Interesting. Okay, this makes sense. All right. And so yeast is a unicellular fungus. Yes. And okay. it's uh, the Latin name is Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and that is definitely cerevisiae as in cerveza because it is the same yeast that is used to make ale. And historically, like when people were starting to use non-sourdough yeast... Wait a minute, which came first, cerevisiae or cerveza? Oh, uh, I mean... Is this a dumb question? No, it's not a dumb question. I think cerveza came first because these Latin names were given by Linnaeus in like the 17th century, okay. mostly. And so uh, they there, weren't all given by Linnaeus, like but I'm sure this one was. there would have been beverages much oh, yeah. earlier than that. Absolutely. Okay. So... Fermented grain beverages. Right, so I think I literally say. the word cerevisia probably came first because it's Latin, but like this use of it. I wonder if we'll have any sort of like taxonomist let us know. I hope so, because that's something I'm really into. <laughs>
I so, couldn't tell if you were being serious or not. I, I think am you're being, being serious. I am being serious. Like okay. that was that was my like pretty much my favorite thing. God, you are a real Sarah Vise man. Yeah. That's yeah. better than a clarinet man. Well, no, I like my my, my woodwinds, my leather jacket, my my your cerveza. Beer, my cerveza. Yeah. Um, it sounds pretty good, actually. So, like, in the early days of commercial yeast baking, you know, bakers would get, like, this this cast-off, unneeded yeast from brewers. And then what happened was the brewers were like, hey, you know what? We could make beer in a different style that is, uh, you know, easier to make in quantity. Um, rather than make ale, we can make lager, which uses a different type of yeast that is less useful for bread baking. And so the bread bakers had a problem. Oh. I'm trying to give this some, somehow inject some drama wow. into this story. I see the but narrative like, unfolding. But here. last, I mean, last week we had this whole that whole story about about the downfall of Fanny Craddock, and like nothing I say, no story I tell the rest of my life is ever going to live up to that. You know that. what? When we talk about the downfall of Fanny Craddock, yes. it brings to mind our old visitor, Mrs. Mrs. Cubison. <laughs> yes. When when we watched the Fanny Craddock video, like I, I could see like she could she but could Mrs. have been Cubison Mrs. was like her her like sweet like half sister. I think it could be like a Jekyll and Hyde situation. Oh, Mrs. Craddock and Mrs. Cubison. Because like Mrs. Cubison is 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 like the the sweet gentle one, but like you know don't provoke her or or she'll Fanny, haunt you. Right, Fanny Craddock will come out and like tell you that your pudding is no good. <laughs> Okay, so so the bread bakers they got a problem. Like their their yeast source is drying up, and this is particularly this is happening in Germany, um, where where there was uh, that's where the beer industry was undergoing this transformation, and so they developed. And boy, is this going to be anticlimactic? Uh, what is called the Vienna process? Okay, which, I'm ready by Robert is this Ludlum. A treaty. It's not a treaty. Okay. It's just a way of like basically pr- making beer like up to a certain point and then stopping so you just produce a bunch of yeast and then and like Is this still how it's done? No, it's not. Okay. So this was this was like an early process for mass producing yeast, but now the way it's done is in like big tanks where where the yeast is like they've got a right temperature, they've got a nutritious broth, uh, there and the yeast is dividing and dividing in this in this tank, and then they centrifuge the shit out of it. I got to use a centrifuge in the lab. I also got to use a centrifuge in the lab. When I was reading about this, I was like, it's been so long since I've centrifuged. I want a centrifuge and started browsing centrifuges on Amazon. For no reason. Are there like inexpensive centrifuges for like, I mean, well, oh God, I feel like a lot of the stuff in that, uh, the modernist cuisine cookbooks, like, yeah, that's like all centrifuges. Like centrifuge, probably. like pea puree and stuff. Yeah, centrifuge pea. <laughs> I bet you, that would be really cool to see like the minerals, like, uh, what do you call it when they, uh, when they come out of solution? Uh, precipitate? Yes, precipitate. Yes. Yeah, I would love to see pea precipitate. <laughs> so anyway, so so back to Germany <laughs> okay, okay. in the in the eighteen forties ish. Yeah. So the first bread pro- product that was widely available, made with commercial yeast rather than sourdough, apparently was the Kaiser roll in Vienna at around the eighteen forties. So like mm-hmm. that's that's not when Kaiser rolls originated, but it's when Kaiser rolls started being made with commercial yeast. And like to to the average consumer, it was a revelation because it was so much like 
sweeter and less, you know, it, it didn't taste like sourdough. Hmm. And like, so it was like, it was like the first glimmer of like, like, you know, modern, like Wonder Bread style baked goods and people couldn't get enough of it. <sighs> Little did they know we would be saturated with it later <laughs> and right. we would get all excited about, uh, about sourdough. Yeah. So then I was like, why were people buying all these Kaiser rolls? Were they for sandwiches or were like... I had kind of like a like a little philosophical crisis about like what is a roll. Hmm. Do are rolls eaten as like a staple food? Because like I think of rolls as something that you always eat like like as a side dish or to make a sandwich with. But it seemed like people were eating a lot of these Kaiser rolls and maybe just like as a staple. Hmm. I don't know. I couldn't figure out the answer. Hmm. So so chew on that. Mm. You were asking like could could we get a centrifuge? <laughs> yeah. So what I what I found was like it seems like you can get like a shitty centrifuge for like sixty bucks, but if you want like a pretty good one, that's gonna be like two fifty or three hundred. Hmm. Okay. Well, okay. let's see how the show does okay. over the next few months. All right. Yeah, we'll see. Yeah. And let's let's start making a list of recipes that would be best made in a centrifuge. Okay. And like to be clear, do you like think, the you, kind of tabletop centrifuge that I'm talking about, you have to like put the stuff in like tiny little vials. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. We're gonna need <laughs> right. a pipette. Yep, yep. Oh right. We need oh wow, if I never see a pipette again. <laughs> Did you ever get pipetman's thumb? Uh, no, but I think we've talked about it on the show yeah, before. I like, love talking about Pipetman's thumb. I think I quit before it could get me. Yeah. Okay. So hold on. Um, let's talk about you know how to buy yeast, what commercial yeast is, and the different types of it. Yeah. So there's pretty much three different kinds you'll find with some, with some slight variations. Okay. So there is fresh cake yeast, which you mentioned. Mm -hmm. This is the kind that is most widely used in commercial like big big bread bakeries. Oh, like you know, like Fran's Bakery here in Seattle. Well, no, so that seems no, very. I was thinking more like like artisanal bakeries. Oh. I don't know what they use at like a like an industrial bread bakery. Well, for instance, um, are you familiar with the book Classic German Baking by Louisa Weiss? Yes. So, you know, in, in that, I mean, she covers this wide range of, of German baking and there's a whole, there's a lot of yeast baking yeah. in Germany, right? I remember Louisa, even before she wrote that book, always like singing the praises of cake yeast. Right. Um, so I think from her, you know, her connection to Berlin and German baking. But whenever I've tried using cake yeast, it it doesn't work for right. me. Right. So here's the problem with cake yeast. It is highly perishable. So, but, but it can't be, I mean, there are other things that are highly perishable and we eat them and use them all the time. Meat? Yeah, but the thing with the thing with meat is like it's already dead. Okay. Whereas yeast only works if it's alive. Oh, right. So so like you could if you if your meat is a couple days past date, like you can like Right. It's not losing its ability to nourish you. Exactly. Whereas I guess when yeast dies, it loses its ability to do its job. Right. So so fresh cake yeast, like you got like a two week window, pretty much. Well, but I bought it the day before making some sort of like um, yeasted pastry and it still didn't rise properly. Right. So I think I, I don't know why like commercial artisan bakers are so into cake yeast. I think partly it's like a tradition thing. It like seems like a more natural product. I think it's, we're going to have a lot of listeners who can who, who are going to tell us about this and yeah, have big maybe. opinions. And they're going to think we are dumb. And yeah, they're not wrong. Except like 
I would be so skeptical that you could possibly tell the difference in the end product. Like, I understand the importance of the journey and, like, you know, wanting to use, like, ingredients that, you know, you know it smells Matthew, better. It is all about the journey. It's, it's all about it's the journey. It's not about like, the end point. Like, I bake bread so every day. who cares whether it tastes the, the same or not? The end result is inedible, and, uh, and I throw it into a fire. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's part of your process. Yeah, but it's very meditative. So what you will find for, for home use in the average supermarket is two kinds of dry yeast. And there's active dry yeast, which is like the most, that's the older kind. Many, in terms of when it was developed. In terms of when it was developed. And many recipes still call for it. The other kind is instant yeast, which is sometimes called rapid rise or bread machine yeast. And that kind, in my opinion, like does everything active dry can do, but also is better because you don't have to proof it. Okay. And proofing it is when you put the yeast in water to make sure it bubbles and it's still alive and starts to dissolve. The instant yeast, it's just it's just uh, like basically finer granules. Mm, okay. Okay. Yes. And, and like more and more and more recipes are written with instant yeast in mind. So you can you can mix it with the dry ingredients okay. and it's it's more convenient and the you know works just just as well or better. So, you know, I find the tricky thing about this is that there are still a lot of recipes out there that do call for active dry. Yes. Yeah, so and so do just, you wind up keeping both around? Nope. Just substitute instant yeast for active dry in any recipe, it'll work fine. Like Same technically quantity. technically you should reduce the quantity by like a quarter or a third or something, but it doesn't really matter. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I know. I mean I I'm like really like stepping out out there like you know I'm putting I'm putting my reputation on the line on this episode. Yeah, yeah, you really are, man. Right, cuz people people like get in touch with me all the time like, you know, how dare you say the things you say about active dry yeast? And like you <laughs> mm-hmm. can't you can't silence me. Mhm. Okay. Also, like I found that uh, like it's very easy to find people who claim that the best bread is always made with sourdough rather than commercial yeast, which, to which I say please. Police. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I do think most of the bread, like the crusty breads that I buy and that I really enjoy are made with sourdough or natural leavening. All right. That's it. You're off this episode. But no, I think but, I like them both. But what I wanted to say is that, you know, I think about pizza and things like that. Like when I have had, I've only had, I think, sourdough pizza once and it was very nice. But like, I think of pizza crust as like the, fla- like a commercial yeah. yeast. Absolutely. And we all love that, and we can agree that commercial that that uh, pizza crust can be extremely flavorful. Yeah, but also you can make really great like rustic artisan breads with purely commercial yeast. Okay. Um, Do you realize what you're saying here? You are trashing by implication our friend Sylvia. No, no, no. It's like. I, I, I did say to Ash the other day, I was like, I'm getting tired of, of keeping Sylvia alive, and I think soon I may have to let her die. I mean, you can you could dry her. Uh, so far, I've just been keeping her in the fridge and feeding her like every three weeks or a All month, right. and she's been fine. Yeah. No, I mean, it's it doesn't have to be one or the other, is what I'm saying. Like like sourdough bread and commercial yeast bread aren't the same, and like one one isn't like a. You don't have to take sides here. Like okay. There can be there can be Sylvia and like what would you name a, a commercial yeast? I think I think like Fleischmann. Fleischmann, exactly. <laughs> Like okay. Sylvia and, and in fact, Sylvia and Fleischmann can work together in they the can. same loaf. They like, can. Okay, this, I'm so glad you brought this up because, like, among the best breads that I've made at home were from uh, Ken Forkish's book, Flour, Water, Salt, Yeast, which has a bunch of recipes in it for hybrid loaves that use sourdough and commercial yeast. That makes a lot of sense to me. So you're getting the the flavor of sourdough with like a little, just a little bit of kick to the rise from commercial yeast. 
That so. is really smart. Uh, Ken Forkish, what a guy. That yes. book is great. As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills. The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. I recommend if you're gonna if you're gonna do some yeast baking, buy the little jar rather than the packets. Yeah. Because it is way, way cheaper. And like if you use it more than about six times in a year, you're gonna come out ahead, even though the jar is like seven dollars and feels expensive. Yeah. No, totally. That makes sense. The I mean the other thing I would say is that people feel that yeast baking is scary. Yeah. Right? Here is my feeling about yeast baking. The the times that it has failed me are pretty much only when I'm using sourdough or when I'm using cake yeast, yeah. I have never had a problem with, um, you know, um, active dry or instant. Yes. Yeast. Do not do not try and use it after the freshness date, because like that's a pretty serious freshness date. Unlike some. Okay. We were talking earlier about how uh, Molly and I both uh, will leave buttermilk in the fridge literally forever. Yes. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeast it will die eventually. OK, so. Yeah, yeast is not scary. Uh, if you use instant yeast, you don't have to proof it, which feels like a big imposition sometimes. Mm. And you keep yours in the freezer. I keep mine in the freezer. It lasts about a year. Oh, okay. All right. So what are some things that you like to make oh, with yeast? Oh, man. Okay. Marion Cunningham's Yeasted Waffles, originally oh, published yes. in The Breakfast Book, mm -hmm. now available all over the interweb. Uh, we'll link to the recipe. Yeah, for sure. You start it overnight. Super easy. And the next the next morning you add, I think, like melted butter and an egg or yeah, something. Exactly. And it's really easy. So great. The only thing that I that I don't love about that recipe, and maybe this is just my waffle iron, I have a Belgian waffle yeah. style, mm -hmm. and while the the outer edges get really wonderfully crisp with that like yeasted batter, it tends to make the whole waffle crisp all the way through. It doesn't stay oh, tender in I the see what middle. You mean. Whereas like a you know a baking soda or baking powder leavened waffle. Um, tends to stay chewy inside. But you know what you do? Then you put tons of syrup on it and it gets... And it soft again. Soft again, yeah, exactly, immediately. I think I don't love having a Belgian-style plates in my waffle iron. It was If only there was some alternative. I Wait, just, can you, but can, I don't does use your my waffle, waffle iron have, have like interchangeable no, plates? No, my okay. childhood one did. Yeah. Um, my childhood one had like either, you know, regular waffle irons on one side or like griddle on the yes. other side so my dad would make grilled cheese sandwiches in there like almost like panini press style could you like the... have one waffle and one griddle and never, like have a grilled cheese sandwich that. that's like a waffle on one side and a sandwich on the other side never tried that but anyway no mine is only belgian waffle style and i don't like it I, okay I, well yeah. for we first we need to get this uh centrifuge and then once <laughs> <laughs> once we once we got that what are got we gonna, that, oh, oh we're gonna precipitate some urine we're gonna <laughs> 
And that's going to get us closer to God. my having an American style waffle, waffle iron. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, then we'll sell, <laughs> we'll sell the uric acid to some like health nuts or something who think that's good for you. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. So say you have tried making bread at home with commercial yeast and have had mediocre results. I have some ideas. Okay, t- talk to me about mediocre results. Do you mean so, like, okay. here are some things I can think of, Yeah, you, go, go, you. Number one, uh, sort of lackluster depth of flavor. Yep. Number two, not very good crust development. Yep. That's my two. Okay, so I have ideas for both of those things. Great. So I think, so first of all, I'm talking about lean breads. I'm lean okay. and mean breads. So we're not talking about brioche, hala. Right. For brioche, hala, like, like so much of the flavor and texture is coming from like the butter or eggs or other fat that you're putting in there mm-hmm. that uh, you don't need to take these steps that I'm about to outline. But for making like, you know, a crusty loaf, okay. there are a few things I think you should always do when you're using commercial yeast. Okay. One is to use less yeast and more time. Okay. Because you just get more flavor development that way. This is a lesson I learned from working alongside Brandon as we developed the pizza dough for Delancey. It uses a tiny amount of yeast, but it ferments for like 24 hours. Yeah. Second thing is to use a pre-ferment, such as a poolish or poolish. I'm not sure how you say it. What? How's that different from a starter? It is a type of starter. Okay. So it's not a sourdough starter, but it is a type of starter in the sense that you make you sort of make a, a runny dough and you and you leave it and then you mix all of that into your actual dough. And it's just a way of, of like further developing flavors and, and making sure that uh, that sounds like too much work to me. Matthew. It's not that I know I knew you were going to say that I want to do that. I'm I'm just gonna keep buying my bread, I guess, or, at like seven dollars a loaf. You could, or you could come over here and and I'll make you some. Well, but so if you if you're working with well, so I guess what you're doing then is you're starting you're you're using a recipe that calls for a a, a poolish or a poolish. Yes, or a biga. Okay. I think there's one other one with a fun name. <laughs> um, but yeah, but it's it's not a big deal because it takes like two minutes to mix this thing up. And then, like the next day, you you form it into you build the the full dough. That makes that makes sense. It, none yeah, of okay. these things are things you're going to do if you're not into baking bread. Don't bake bread. Yeah. Like my problem is I'm into baking bread very inconsistently, and um, and, and that's not sustainable. You know what actually is is a good book is the uh, artisan bread on fi- in five minutes a day. Yeah. Like that's what you should do. No, it's it, that book is legit, and and it uses less yeast and more time, and that's a big part of how it works. Okay. Yeah. Going through a bread baking phase is is like a part of of the human div- like lifespan, is, right? Like it's like a developmental stage. Yeah, like some some and and like any time it hits you, it's okay. Like you may you may like be like putting loaves in and out of the oven at age two, or it might take you till you're eighty. I've gone through it twice. In fact, yeah, I have too. Yeah, like I had a I had a, a commercial yeast phase and a sourdough phase. I had a sourdough phase and then a sourdough phase, mm-hmm. and so far both of them have ended pretty quickly. <laughs> cool. <laughs> okay. All right. Yeah, I mean, because I I don't know. I was going to say it's something a, critical about bread. <laughs> it's a lot of work. I think I told you that I recently did. So the New York Times, sometime in the last year, published a guide, like a you know, sort of a comprehensive guide to making sourdough bread. Oh, I thought you were going to say the New York Times published a thing about the best podcasts of the year. Oh, uh, they did. Yeah, and just they saying. included us, which is so weird. Just saying. 
Anyway, but what I was going to say is that I followed this recipe. It's beautifully, you know, fleshed out with pictures. It's, it's broken down into steps. It was so labor intensive. So wait, oh, this was a recipe from the New York Times. Yeah, it was really good. It was so labor intensive. Multiple times, I was like, never again. And even though it was really good, I will never, ever make it again. It was ridiculous. It so, had you like fold and turn the dough every one hour for like eight hours. Oh, that's, and th- on okay, and that's on too and on. many folds and turns. That's more than necessary. But I love that process of like when you, uh, when you like lift the edge of the dough and slap it over the top. I was just like, I know in theory it sounds fine. Like I work from home. I could just get up every hour and go do this. But I found it infuriating. Yeah, no, I, I hear what you say. I guess the point of this yeast episode is don't bother. Okay. Just, just like I mean, like you, there's bread out there, like. But it's so expensive. I know. And once you've baked bread, it's like writing. When you're in the middle of it, That's you're right. all like, like never, never again. again. Yep. And then when you're done with it, you're like, God, I can't wait to do that again. Oh, I was yes. born for that. Oh, and then the other thing that I forgot to mention is like bake your loaf in a Dutch oven. Yes, with the lid on. With the lid on. Yeah. that That's how you get the good crust formation. It, for, because of the steam that's created. Because of that steamy, steamy steam Stop, room. Steam is great. Okay, so what what do you recommend for those of us who maybe get a little frustrated with like trying to make a rustic right, bread Right, that's the home? thing. Everyone wants to make like a rustic loaf that's like as good as you get at, at your favorite bakery. And maybe you can do that. But like Molly said, it's going to take a pound of flesh to make that pound of loaf. So (laughs) other yeasted things that are a lot less challenging uh, that we like to make are uh, like dinner rolls. Remember when we made Parker House rolls? That was so easy and we were shocked at how good they were. Oh God, I'd almost forgotten about that. They were really Really good. good. Yeah, not hard to make at all. Can we post the recipe for that again? I think so. I don't, I don't remember, remember what episode it was, it was on. What would did I, we do an episode? I think we did on an rolls? episode on rolls, and yet I still don't know what rolls are. Yeah, I'm like okay, okay, cinnamon rolls. Now this is something that I've made with yeast many times. Foolproof, easy. What's not to love? Yeah, and like there are non-yeasted cinnamon roll recipes, but not only are the yeasted ones tastier, but they're easier because you do the whole thing the night before, mm-hmm. and then you just bake them in the morning. Totally. Yeah, and you slather on just tons, gallons of cream cheese frosting. Flatbreads. Flatbreads. There's this kind of simplified non-recipe from uh, like N-A-A-N, like Indian <laughs> flatbread recipe from uh, from Cook's Illustrated. I don't know if it's online, but it is in a number of their books like Baking Illustrated um, and, and others that uh, is a very simple, quick, like, you know, the whole thing comes together in a couple hours, yeasted flatbread dough that you then cook in a, in a skillet. It's okay. great. Okay, that sounds great. And like pizza dough is so easy to make. Yes. Um, there there are many great pizza dough recipes on Serious Eats, mostly, most if not all of them from our friend Kenji Lopez-Alt. Mm-hmm. There's uh, pan pizza dough that I make all the time. There's like New York style pizza dough. Really, Detroit. Like, there's Detroit pizza. Yeah. Like use instant yeast. You're not going to have a problem. Wow. Okay. Well, this has been a both empowering and demoralizing. demoralizing Like I think that's usually like kind of the balance that we find by the end of the episode. I mean, that's kind of what our friendship is like: (laughs) empowering and demoralizing. Uh, uh, Well, it's uh, well, I don't know how you experience it, but Uh I experience it as mostly empowering. Me too. Okay. Good. The other day, I was I was looking up something about enneagrams, oh, and yeah, I remembered yeah. that you're an enneagram one. Yeah, the, and like you are such who... an enneagram one, and it was it's been helpful for me to know that oh. about you because sometimes like you're so helpful 
sometimes it's super annoying, right? No, no, it, it's it's incredible. Some, sometimes it is, and sometimes <laughs> I feel like I am getting too much from Matthew and not giving anything in return. And I, I think I actually am. But also, it's helpful for me to know that this is part of where you get your self worth. It's where I get my kicks on Route sixty six. Yes, let's break into song. Um, the thing is. <laughs> The bill's going to come due for all of the things that I've done for you. What am I, um, what am I, what, what kinds of things can I do for you? That's true. What skills do you bring to the table? Um, Hmm. I mean, uh, I guess, I guess what, what I'm going to want is like, you know, um, like every, we've just talked about this, like every author, like my ultimate fantasy, sex is good and all, but my ultimate fantasy is to have like a great book out there with my name on it that's on the bestseller list and I didn't have to write it. So, but, it, but it's I, got your name. Oh, got, I'm going to have to ghostwrite. You're going to you. ghostwrite this shit out of a book for me, and it's oh, going to be okay. great. Oh, God, that does sound really good. Yeah, right? Yeah. Do I get part of the advance? Okay. Yeah. Uh, no, I, oh, I don't okay. care about the money. I just want. I just want the uh, the satisfaction. And oh, I care about the, the money. fans. Okay. Okay. I mean, um, I need the money. Is this book gonna be like just another memoir of like all things about your life? But it's we're gonna but have to change your name change. to my name because I don't know if that's gonna be believable. Um, we'll keep working on this. Speaking of another memoir with things about oh, Molly's God. life. Oh God. Nothing. No. No reason. No. Oh. Oh yeah, so this episode stars. is airing on April second, and and my book is coming out on uh, May twelfth. Yes, and sometimes it starts like like when a book comes out, it like arrives a little early. Could that happen? I have no Probably idea. It depends early. on where you pre-ordered your book. And this is another good time for us to talk about. Like, this is something that is baffling about the publishing industry yes. if you're not in it, which is that. So you know how books wind up on the bestseller list. Most, I mean, not personally, but yes. Most of the time, books wind up on the bestseller list these days because of pre-orders. Mm-hmm. It can also happen if like Oprah likes your book or something. Obviously. Does Oprah like your? I really hope Oprah likes I don't your think book. Think Oprah cares about my book, um, uh. but. Here's the deal, like pre-orders are really important and it's so dumb, but they're really important. Yeah, we tell we tell a lot of jokes and and uh, and outright lies on this show, but that's true. And so please pre-order Molly's book, The Fixed Stars. It's a wonderful book. Thanks. Oh, God, this got too earnest. Let's move on. So you can find us at Facebook.com slash Spilled Milk Podcast. Yeah. What do you like to yeast? Yeah. What do you like to yeast? And um, I don't know. Like what? What does yeet mean? That's a thing that kids are saying. Really? Yeah. Well, I thought that was easy. No, no, no. That's <laughs> that's that's a thing that like thirty-eight-year-olds are into. Oh. All right. Um, tell us about what kind of yeasted baked goods are you making these days? Anything that we should know about that won't be totally demoralizing? Yeah, I, I serious. I think if you ask a kid, like, like, what do you think of Kanye? They'll be like, oh, like you, that old man that my that dad listens guy. to. That, that crazy old man that, that my parents are into. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm also curious. Um, you know what is something that I have not thought about in ages? Bread machines. I was thinking about like, that too. You mentioned bread machine yeast. Yes, as, an, as like a synonym for if quick a- rise if it or rapid actually rise. Actually, sold under that name anymore. But yeah, I'm curious to see if any of our listeners. I think if you know, a lot of our listeners are about our age, so it means that bread machines probably came out when we were all like teenagers, right? Oh yeah, teens. Like and going to those like bread machine sleepovers. Totally, yeah. Where you all cram in the bread machine. It's so (laughs) warm and seven minutes in heaven in the bread machine. Uh, And you come out with a with a golden brown crust. (laughs) Anyway, 
God. You know, I could never do it because my skin's too fair. I always right, got burned. Sure. Uh-huh. <laughs> anyway, <In the> fried <laughs> anyway, but do, does anybody still use those things? I think probably some people do. Yeah. I mean, it makes so much sense, right? Like It does. So I think I think the thing with bread machines, I think we've talked about this before, is like they're good at every part of the process except the actual baking part hmm. is is not ideal. And I, and I remember, I know I've, I've mentioned this before, but like when King Arthur Flower first started selling bread machines in their catalog, and this is absolutely true, they suggested that you buy the bread machine, use it for like the kneading and rising of the dough, and then take it out of the bread machine and bake it in the oven. I think I would actually do yeah, that. It seems pretty good, right? Because that would get rid of all the parts that I don't like. Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, what else do we want people to do? Uh, so, you know, we recently went on our uh, our annual corporate retreat. Yeah, I hope it went well. And you can... We actually haven't gone on it yet when, when we're taping this episode. Anyway, but um, you can find pictures of it for sure on Instagram. Yes, because producer, producer Abby's Abby, coming along and will force us to Instagram. Yeah. Uh, what else do we want people to do? Uh, oh, that's at Spilled Milk Podcast on Instagram. Yeah. Um, I don't think we really have the power to make people do anything. Like, we already asked them to pre-order your book, and, like, I think that's enough. I think that's more than enough. You're already listening to the show, and we can't really ask more than that, except for pre-ordering Molly's book and um, also pre-ordering the book that Molly's going to write and put my name on. Yeah. Our producer is Abby Circatella. And until next time, thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. Stay active, stay dry, or... <laughs> what about um, uh, either of those is fine. Yeah. I'm Molly okay. Weisenberg. And I'm Matthew Amster Burton. Maybe I'll do it anyway. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's your mom. She'll still love you. That's true. Probably. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil.